0: have your Bibles this morning, I want to ask you to turn to two specific passages this morning. I want you to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 6, and then I also want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you were with us last week, we are beginning this journey, beginning this process to add to our deacon ministry. And some of you are asking a question, why preach on this? Why talk about this? There are so many different things that we can be learning about and reading about in Scripture. Why are we talking about the deacons? The first reason is this. It's in the Bible. So it kind of is a givey. The second reason is this. To remind ourselves as a church family. What is the ministry of the deacon? What is their role? This morning we're going to be very specific as to... The person they are. But that's why we are going through this short series. Is because we live in a world in a time where churches, some churches, have a very distorted view of the deacons. They have a distorted view over the deacon ministry. In some churches, the deacons are seen as the group that runs and directs the activities of the church. That's what they believe the deacons are to do. Basically run the church. Make every decision for the church. But as we learned last week in Acts chapter 6, there was a need to bring deacons alongside those serving as the pastors, as the bishop, as those apostles. We realize in the Bible there are only two positions, two titles, two offices mentioned in the Bible. That of the pastor and that of the deacon. We also learned last week that the deacons serve as the servants of the church. They're the ones encouraging others to serve in the body of Christ. This morning we're going to look specifically at their qualifications. But if you have your Bible turn to Acts chapter 6 verse 3, we learned some basic qualifications right here about this office, about the ministry of the deacon. And over in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, remember the business at hand. There were some widows that were not being cared for like the other widows. And those individuals went to the leaders of the church, the apostles, hey, there's a problem, so... The Apostle said, listen, here's what you need to do. Pick seven men that meet these requirements. And the church did. And the church blessed as a whole because of the service of these individuals. But as I think about Acts chapter 6 verse 3 and what I what we read last week, here are some things I want to remind us of about these, this ministry of the deacon. We need men to serve that have a good reputation in the church and outside the church. Right. Agree? It's okay to amen the message. In the church and outside the church. Also on the screen behind me, we need men who are known for their faith not only in church but in their places of business as well. We need men who are full of the Holy Spirit and sensitive to the things of the Spirit. They know the things of God. They have a relationship with God. They're spending time with God. In the Acts passage, it talks about wisdom. I would like to put the phrase common sense in there as well. Because we need wisdom. We need common sense in doing what God has called us to do. Now take your Bibles. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me give you some background this morning. Timothy is a young pastor serving the church in Ephesus. He has a hard task in front of him. Ephesus is a city that is growing and is occupied by many of those who have moved from Rome that want to have that kind of life. Timothy is also fighting with a statue outside of town to a goddess. And there are those who would rather worship that statue than worship the true God. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, this young pastor, to encourage him in the ministry The first part of chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy what to look for, what are the qualifications of the pastor. That is in the first seven seven verses of Acts chapter 3, of 1 Timothy chapter 3, rather. But then we get to the second part of the chapter. Look with me starting in verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes these words, likewise deacons must be reverent. Not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. January 6, 1850, John Eglin of Colchester awoke in town and was buried in snow. Snows everywhere, and he thought about why go to church. There's snow everywhere. Why get up and go? But because he was a good deacon, he got up that way and walked six miles to the Methodist church to make sure the doors were open and that people could come in. So he walks down to the Methodist church in Colchester, England. He gets there and he unlocks the doors, turns all the heat on to get things warmed up for folks. He gets word that the pastor can't make it because he snowed in. And he starts wondering, should we have church at all? Well, then a few people start coming in. And at one point, the story goes that there were 13 people who showed up to church that morning. 12 members and a visitor. A 13-year-old young boy who was trying to get out of the snow. And so the people are trying to encourage this deacon, John Edwin. They're saying, listen, let's just cancel services. Let's just go home. But because there was a visitor, because there was a visitor, he said we ought to have church. But then rose the next question: Who's going to preach? And all the ladies look at John because he's the only man there. So this deacon gets up and stands behind the pulpit to preach. And according to the legend, it wasn't very good and lasted ten minutes. Today is not going to be ten minutes, but just let you know. <laughs> And he wasn't very elegant. But listen to his text. He preached from Isaiah 45, verse 22. The text simply says, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And gathering all the bit of courage, John looks at this visitor, this 13-year-old boy, and he says this. He says, look to Jesus, young man. Look to Jesus and be saved. That was the message. When well, that 13 year old boy accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and he goes home to tell his mama about the decision he has made, and he gets to his house, and he tells his mom what took place, and his mom simply said, Charles, I often prayed the Lord would make you a Christian, but I never asked that He might make you a Baptist. <laughs> this 13 year old boy who was getting out of the snow that's all the reason he went to the church. Not to hear a message. He went in to get out of the snow. And because of the faithfulness of a deacon. Preached a simple message. Telling this young man to look to Jesus and you'll be saved. The young man was Charles Spurgeon. Who would go on to be the prince of preachers. Who would go on to have a ministry that was so incredible. That eventually he was called to the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church. A church that seats 5,000 people. Now take this into account, church. He's preaching to 5,000 people without a microphone. There's no way to amplify the sound. And he is preaching to 5,000. We are told that people were so drawn to hearing Charles Spurgeon preach that there would be those who would literally stand outside the church because it was standing room only to hear the message. But think about this for a second. What if John anyway, had gone to church that morning? What if John had woken up, seen the stone, and said, I'm not doing it? But because of his faithfulness, serving as a deacon in this church, he got up, walked six miles, preached a simple message, and one person was changed who had an impact on eternity. I share this illustration to remind you this morning of the faithfulness of this one man. John Eglin didn't wake up and say, That's not my job. He didn't wake up that morning and said, God did not give me to do this. We need deacons like John Eglin, who see a need and are willing to serve. We need servants in the church and willingness to do whatever it takes needs to be done. Listen, This deacon could have gotten up and told the 13 people, listen, the pastor's not here, it's cold outside, go on and go home. We'll meet again next week. But because of his faithfulness, because of his faithfulness, one person heard the gospel and was changed for eternity. And that one person changed has literally changed the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But church, I want to remind you of something this morning. The message that we are looking at. Is not just for the deacon. It's not just for the potential deacon. The words we read and hear Are a reminder for every one of us. Who has a desire to serve God. And to walk the path he has for us. Yes these are qualities we are going to look for in a deacon. But they should be qualities that we are seeking in our own lives. So as we look through this this morning. Don't look at it as checking off what we're looking for in a deacon. Look at it inwardly and say, am I doing these things? Not because I want to be a deacon, but because I want to be an example of Christ where I live and where I go. That's the way you need to look at this passage of Scripture. We notice when we get to chapter 3, verse 8, there's a transition. Paul tells Timothy, he says, likewise. That word is a transition word, and we're going to see it in just a moment. But what Paul is saying, he's saying that likewise, he's saying you look up to the pastor and you see his qualifications. Likewise, here are the qualifications for the deacon. And there are similar qualifications between that of the pastor and that of the deacon. But what Paul is trying to remind us this morning is that there's no one is more important than the other. They are two offices established God we see in this chapter the responsibility and duties of the pastor but now we look at the duties of the deacon and he uses the word likewise he's saying this is what a pastor should be look like should look like what he should be doing likewise this is what a deacon should be doing so here's the question I want us to think about before we even dive into this even further why why likewise? Why should it be this way? Why should there be such a high standard, not only for the pastor, but for the deacon as well? I think Paul explains this to us down in verse 15. And look what he says in verse 15. He says, But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. For anyone in church leadership, listen very carefully. For leaders and those who serve the church have a greater weight of responsibility, therefore a greater weight of accountability. I, as pastor of Greensville Baptist Church, am accountable to God. Deacons who serve at Reedville Baptist Church deacons are accountable to God. If you're a child of God, you're accountable to Him as well. But for those in positions of leadership, and I'm going to use a broad net here. I don't, it doesn't, I'm not going to say I don't care if that's not nice. It doesn't matter. Pastor, deacon, Sunday school teacher, usher, nursery worker. Member of the choir, whatever ministry you're involved in, you are serving in a ministry of the church, either inside or outside the church. So if you're serving in a ministry, yes, there is a weight of responsibility because you are serving in a ministry, but there's also a greater weight of accountability. Am I doing what God has called me to do? That's what we're trying to unpack in this passage of Scripture. And because you're in a position, you have a greater influence. Listen, being the pastor is not a status symbol. Being the deacon is not a status symbol. Being a Sunday school teacher is not a status symbol. It's about the responsibility we have. These are positions of humbleness. And I'm going to talk about myself for just a second. I don't serve so I can stand in the spotlight. I'd rather stand where nobody sees me and still serve. But the problem is is when we allow positions in the church to make our heads swell, we think it's about the person, not the ministry. And I've said this before, and I will say this till God calls me home. You should not be in this place because who's behind the pulpit or who's serving as deacon or who's teaching the Sunday school class or who's leading the worship. You should be here because you hear God's truth proclaimed in Sunday school, in worship, in song. That's why you should be here. Amen. And if that's not why you're here, then ask yourself why are you here in the first place. Because it should never be about the person standing behind the sacred desk. It should never be about those who are serving the body of Christ. Because in his position of humbleness we are held accountable before a Holy Father. About the things we say, the things we do, and the lives we touch. So this morning we're looking at deacons. Specifically we're going to look at the qualifications of a deacon. That's what we're looking at this morning. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 8. Some of these we're going to run through very quickly, some we're going to spend some time on. But the first thing Paul says to Timothy is they must be reverent. The word reverent in the New American Standard says men of dignity, the NIV says worthy of respect. Being reverent means they're not a jokester, they take the office of the deacon very seriously. And I found this statement. And it was a statement I used when I taught a class on 1 Timothy. But the statement fits here when we think about reverence. A deacon should take his responsibility seriously and use the office, not just fill it. Did you hear what I said? You're not a deacon just because you have a title. It's not something to fill. It's something to use in ministry. Not just taking space. But is the, is the person that you're praying about, we've talked about this for three weeks now, is the person, the individuals you're praying about, are they people of respect? Are they reverent? Are they people worthy of respect? That's the first thing Paul says only in verse 8. Then he says, not double tongue." The Holman Christian uses the word not hypocritical. Do you want someone serving in the also of deacon who says one thing to one person and something else to another person? You want someone who can depend on what they say for the betterment of the kingdom and for the church. So in this first verse alone, verse 8, they're reverent. They're not double-toned. Scripture also says not given too much wine. The New American Standard says not addicted to much wine. Now we know they drunk wine during Jesus' day. But a normal person would drink one part wine to five, seven parts water. Just to dilute the water so it would be drinkable. But what Paul is saying here is not to become addicted to it. But listen, I would throw a couple other things in there. Not only do I think that a deacon who serves in a church should be addicted to strong drink... I don't think they should be addicted to the things of this world. I don't think they should be addicted to alcohol, drugs, tobacco, or anything else for that matter. And I said addicted. And there's a difference. I Are mean, they letting those things overtake them? And that's what I think Paul's trying to remind Timothy when he uses the phrase, not given too much wine. Those in leadership shouldn't be addicted to the things of the world. Let the things of the world Direct their path and tell them what to do and not to do. But Paul doesn't stop here. He also uses the statement in verse 8. He says, Not greedy for money. NIV says, Not pursuing dishonest gain. Remember what Paul said about the love of money? It is the root of all evil. Paul said those words. He says them later in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So you don't want a deacon, you want him to be reverent, not double tongued, not giving much wine, not greedy. For money, But then he makes this next statement in verse 9. And here's where the rubber beats the road. Yes, we see the four first four things right there. Those are the givens. But then he makes this statement in verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I think a deacon should be doctrinally sound. Doctrinally sound. In other words, they hold deep the truths of the faith. They're not a new convert. They're not someone who just came to know who Jesus Christ. Is, but they have a grasp on what doctrine says. They have a grasp on the scriptures. Go back to our friend John Eggman. He had no idea what he was going to preach on. But he knew the message had to be proclaimed. And he could have turned anywhere in Scripture, but he don't know the reason. But he turns to the passage in Isaiah. Because God prompted him. But I also believe. He turned to that passage because he knew what that verse said. Because he had spent time in the Word. He was doctrinally sound. He knew what Scripture said. I believe for those who serve knowledge office of deacon. That they must base their decisions on the Word of God. But not only that. But they must back up decisions with a godly life. You've heard the expression... Talk the talk, but not walk in the walk. Listen, it is real easy to quote scripture and live like the world. It's another thing to quote scripture and live what scripture says. That's what it means to be doctrinally sound. James put it this way. He says we're to be doers of the word and not only hearers of the word. So as we're working through this passage, we see these qualifications. We now understand verse 9, they are doctrinally sound. But then he says this in verse 10. He says, but let these first be tested and let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Verse 10, he's telling us that they need to be tested and proved. Tested and proved. So we pray over them, but we test them. Think about those in the Bible who have been tested. Think about those in the scriptures who have had to go through a test before they ascended to the mantle of leadership. Here are some names and think about these individuals. Think about Joseph. Joseph served as a servant in Egypt for 13 years before he became the second person ruling the land of Egypt. Moses tended sheep for 40 years before God said, Go get my people out of captivity. Joshua was Moses' servant before he became Moses' successor. David was tending sheep. David was tending sheep when Samuel shows up and anoints him as the next king of Israel. Even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came in the form of a servant. And even labored as a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. What does this all mean? I think it means simply this that first you're a servant, then a ruler. Not that deacons are rulers, don't lose sight of that. But the name you just mentioned in Scripture, before they went into a position of authority, they had to serve. It's the same thing with the office of the deacon. They are tested and improved to be able to serve in this position of leadership. It will weaken the testimony of a church when members have not been proved and made an the church. Listen, here's a thought and here's the danger of all this. And I'm going to chase this and I don't mean to chase it. Next week. Next week, starting next Sunday, you're going to have the opportunity to submit names for the ministry and office the But please listen very carefully to this next statement. A deacon is not a popularity contest. Too many churches have had this mindset. And I saw this growing up in the church. You know, we're going to make so-and-so a deacon. And here's the thought. If we make him a deacon, he'll give more to the church. Because he's a successful businessman. And he'll give to the church because we've made him a deacon. Now he feels responsible to do it. Here's my thought. If he wasn't given before, why is he going to change after he becomes a deacon? There's no reason. But if they're tested and proved. I remind you also, church. That when you submit those names, those names will be prayed over. And then those men will be talked to, and those men will go through a process of what it means to be a deacon and what that responsibility looks like. And they will be tested before it even comes to you as a church to either accept them as deacons or not accept them as deacons. There's a process. And that's what Paul's trying to explain to Timothy here when he gets to this point. Yes, there are these things, they're reverent, they're not double-tongued, they're not drunk on wine, they're not doing these things, they're not greedy with money, they're doctrinally sound, they know scripture, but oh, by the way, they're going to be tested and proved to serve in this office. Because here's the danger, here's the danger, if we just jump into it and say, you know what, they're a good guy, let's make him as a deacon. They're going to give more to the ministry of the church, let's make them as a deacon. There's a danger here, here's the danger. And I put it in a statement. An untested Christian is an unprepared Christian. A Christian who is not prepared to walk and follow God's leading can do more harm to a church than any other individual. Because they're not trusting God to lead them, to guide them, and direct them. To those who we will call to this ministry, they will go through the process of being ordained as a deacon. But in this process, we walk with them and through this process, we look for their life. Are they walking with God? Are they taking responsibility in ministries, serving God already? It's not call a deacon and then let him serve. Are they already serving? And we see God already working in their heart to be part of this ministry. Because here's the thinking. A person who's called as a deacon. Not much changes about who they are. Because they're already doing it. Does that make sense what I just said? It's not like we, we, we call them to the deacon. Imagine they change and become somebody else. No, they're already doing these things in ministries. They're already serving the church. We're just adding a little bit more responsibility for them as they serve the body of Christ. Nothing changes about them or should change about them. Because they're already serving and already following God's leading. And you know what? It would be easy to stop at these three verses and say, man, this makes sense. Let's just go home. But in my Bible, i got to turn the page. We get to verses 11 and 12. We've looked at the person, the individual, but now we've got to look outside the person in the rest of his life. And I think in verse 11 and 12, we start looking and talking about godly homes. Godly homes. Because, again, I told you earlier, verse 8 started with the word likewise. Look what verse 11 starts with. The word likewise. Paul doesn't stop with just the men who are called as deacons. Look what he said in verse 11. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Now, here is what is interesting. In the Greek, listen very carefully. In the Greek, there is not a word for wives. There is not a word for wives in the Greek. In the New American Standard, they would use the word woman. Woman. But notice, your Bible may not have this, but I use the New King James translation. And in my scripture, it says this likewise, their wives. T H E I R. Talking about the wife of those who are being considered for deacon. He's talking about their wives. So there's the clarity. And he doesn't just say women, he says their wives. And I believe they put it in here for context. And here's the understanding. The deacon's wife is part of his ministry. And not only is he part of his ministry, it's a reminder that for godliness, it must begin at home. Godliness starts at home. And what we're now understanding is when the church is looking at the deacon... They're also looking at his wife because they are a pair serving together. Let's take it out of the context of the church. Brother Wayne, could you do the Gideon ministry without your sidekick right there? No. It's attacking, isn't it? And you held up two forms for couples, didn't you? You didn't hold up two forms. and said any man who wants to be a part of the ministry. He said for couples. Because two are stronger than one. When you got God, it's three chords It's even stronger. We have to remember that the ministry of Deacon yes, is the men who serve, but their wives serve alongside these men. And there are requirements for them. We see it in these verses. They're to be reverent, dignified, worthy of respect. They don't slander, they don't gossip. They're temperate. They're faithful. That's talking about the wives. And now I'm fixing to open up a whole can of worms with the next verse. Because the next verse, verse 13, is very controversial. So if we were on an airplane, you'd hear the pilot come over to the system and say, Everybody sit up nice and straight make sure your seatbelts fastened. And I want you to pay listen very carefully to what's coming next. Verse 11 Let deacons be the husband of one wife. Ruling their children. In their own house well. In the Greek. In the Greek where it says. A husband of one wife. It really, literally means in the Greek. A one woman man. That's what it means. In the Greek. But unfortunately. There are those who have taken this verse. And either put it one way to the left. Or one way to the right. There are some who think. There are some who think when they read that verse, let Deacon be the husband of one wife. There are those who think that if they've been divorced or remarried, they're disqualified. There's another side of this who says that in the time, Paul's talking about the issue of polygamy. Having more than one wife. Here was the big issue. Here's why Paul says this. During Paul's day and during Timothy's day, there were those... Who had this mindset of becoming serial marriers. That's a mouthful. Here was the thought. I can get married. I can get divorced. I can get married. I can get divorced. I can get married. I can get divorced. That was the mindset of individuals back in all day. And if we're becoming legalistic about this. We're looking at the context. Listen. I truly believe this. This verse tells me it's not about marriage, it's not about divorce, it's about faithfulness of a man to his wife. So we're talking specifically about marriage. It's not about being divorced or even being a widower. Because then those questions come up, Paul is telling us the husband of what? One wife. Someone who is faithful to his wife. Someone who is faithful to his family. That's what I believe Paul is talking about here. If Paul was talking about divorce, he would have said it here. But he's not talking about divorce. But too many churches use that as a perimeter. Well, that disqualifies them. That's not what I see in this verse. And I do not believe that is what Paul is trying to tell us here. Here's what Paul is telling us. And here's what we're looking at. We're thinking about the office of deacon. The issue here is moral character, not marital status. Is the man who serves as a deacon, what are his morals when it comes to his wife, when it comes to his family, when it comes to his home? Yes, the issue is a strong, godly family. But you take into account things that may have happened, yes. But that doesn't disqualify, because who they are now. If I said yes to Jesus Christ, He's forgiven me of my past sins. Correct. He doesn't hold those against me. Correct. So if Jesus doesn't hold it against me. Why would the church hold it against someone? And I'm not just talking about the office of deacon right now. I'm talking about anything. But looking in this context. Listen, when you read scriptures about context, what is the verse saying before and after? What is Paul trying to tell us here? It's moral character, who they are as that person. Are they faithful to the person they call their wife, according to verse 11? Are they faithful to their family? That's what they're saying, I believe, in this verse. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He also asks the question, what about ruling their children? What are their children? What are they like? But then he makes this next statement in the verse. In their own houses, well. I think he's talking about their finances. Does a person deserve that they can manage the finances of their home well? Because here's a thought. If the person can't manage their finances at home, how are they going to help manage the finances of the church? Do yes. you see how it all works together? You see how it all is flowing. And then we get to this next verse, verse 13. A willingness to work. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ, Jesus. When we look at the office of deacon, when we think about that office, either they're praised because they're serving the church or people are talking about it. But when we think about this office in a willingness to work, I put this in your outline. A deacon that is faithful and serves well builds a good reputation with other Christians in the church and with the community outside the church. Why? Because the deacon has a witness. The person who serves in the office of deacon ministry has a witness. And it's easy for them to go and tell others about Jesus Christ. They're the ones who set the example for us to follow as servants in the church. So what does this mean for me as a member of the church? When I look at these verses, do I examine myself, am I reverent? Am I worthy of respect? Not being a pastor, not being a deacon, just being a child of God, am I reverent? Do I hold Jesus above everything else? Show me someone who is active in their faith, has a relationship with Jesus Christ in his scene, and I can show you a man who meets these qualifications we read in Scripture. But it's not just for the deacon. Every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior should aspire to do this. We should aspire to be reverent, not double-tongued. Not greedy from money. Not drunk by wine. We should aspire to do these things. Not because I want to be a deacon. Not because I want to be a pastor. But because I am a child of God. And I want others to see God in me. Not because of the title. But because I'm walking with Him daily. A little while ago. We talked about This attitude of worship. And standing before a holy God. And being held accountable. When you and I stand before him. Is he going to say well done good and faithful servant. Or is he going to say I don't know who you are. We read these verses. And yes. These verses are talking about. What it means to be a deacon. But I think more importantly. It talks about what it means to be a child of. God, Am I, as a child of God, am I living daily to serve Him and obey Him? But it starts with knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Am I serving Him as a child of God? Am I obeying Him as a child of God? Every head bowed and every eye closed. In the morning we're going to stand and sing a hymn of response. But this morning I want us to think about... Not only those that we're praying for, for this ministry, but think about yourself this morning. Am I living and serving Jesus today and every day? In order to answer that question, you have to ask yourself another question. Do I know Jesus Christ? And that's where it starts. For those who are called as pastors and deacons, it's not someone that is a new convert. It's someone who is walking and learning daily what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a child of God. But in order for that to take place, I have to have a relationship with Him. I have to know the Savior. This morning, there are some of you who would... Tell me that you have an issue with being double-toned. There may be some who would tell me this morning you wouldn't call yourself reverent at all because of your attitude, your actions. That's why Paul stresses this with Timothy. But I think Paul is reminding us as individuals as well, not to be inspired to the office. But as a child of God and His witness, His ambassador, His representative, do I have an attitude of being reverent? Do I have an attitude of not being double-tongued? Not being drawn to wine or anything else the world has to offer? Am I not greedy for money? Because those things talk about our character. And if I'm going to call myself a child of God, it starts a relationship and it starts with living a life that reflects Him. Jesus came as a servant. Not as a king, not with trumpets being blown, but as a servant. And we see that all through Scripture. And it's a reminder that has been set for us as believers.
1: But you can't know
0: what it means. A servant, if you've never asked him to be Savior of your life. So, this morning, the invitation is for those who have never said yes to this gift of salvation, but the invitation is also for those who know who Jesus is, but your life's not being a reflection of that. Because you're struggling with some of the things we just talked about in these verses. For some, you're struggling with God this morning because He may be calling you to be a part of this fellowship. And you keep telling yourself, I can do it later, God. And God's saying, no, do it now. Whatever the case is, in a moment I'm going to pray and we're going to stand and sing. As we sing, do business with God. Father, as we are here. This morning, Father, we are here. To be reminded of what it means to be a child of yours. Father, we're here to be reminded of what it means to live a life, that is reverence. Not quick to gossip. Not quick to be drawn to the things of this world that could pull us away from you. But to have a love for you. It start to relationship. So Father, this morning, as we sing, we speak to the hearts of individuals. We praise their son's name. Amen. Let's all sing.